Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Peter Bagshaw, GP and uh, Clinical Lead for Mental Health, and I'm joined today by my partner in crime. Uh, uh, David Seeley, I'm the Commissioner Manager for Adult Mental Health and Dementia Services. Lovely to be here sitting in Andrew's hot seat. Emerging, blinking from the shadows where you usually mastermind our, our recordings. And we're delighted today to be uh, joined by Jill Keniston Goebel, the manager of Healthwatch. So, Jill, welcome. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to be manager of Healthwatch, and, and then a, a little bit about what Healthwatch can do for people. Thank you, Peter and David. It's very good to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Um, so, as you rightly said, I'm Jill and I'm the manager of Healthwatch in Somerset. Uh, relatively new in post. I started last year in July, um, so quite a steep learning curve. My background's not actually within health and social care. Um, it's actually within adult education. So, um, emotional well-being and lifelong learning, very intrinsically linked. So, uh, it's good to be part of the health and social care system, though. Absolutely. So, Healthwatch, I, I feel I should know exactly what Healthwatch does, and I'm not quite sure I do. And I, I suspect a lot of our listeners will, will be equally unclear. So can you tell us in a nutshell what Healthwatch is, what it does, what it doesn't do, maybe? Absolutely. So Healthwatch exists to speak up for local people on health and social care. Um, we make sure that the services in the county reflect the needs of the people in the communities they serve. Um, so we've got quite a long history. In Back in 2012, there was a Health and Social Care Act that was introduced under the coalition, dare I bring in politics, um, government at that point. That act put clinicians at the centre of commissioning. Um, it freed up providers to innovate, empowered patients by giving them a voice through the new Health Watch patient organisation. So we actually came into being in 2013. Uh, each county across the country has got a health watch and we're all brought together under Health Watch England. So there's also a national body as well, of which we're part. So those sound very laudable aims. So how in practice do you go about doing this? So our work... Um, which fulfills the kind of statutory functions of local health watch, it falls into four main areas. Um, taking feedback and providing information signposting, um, our projects, um, enter and view, and reporting and influencing change. So we've got a number of different ways. And you mentioned feedback. So is that feedback from health professionals, from organisations, from the public? Any and all. So we welcome feedback from members of the public, from anybody that wants to get in touch, basically. Um, we want to hear about feedback and services that you are using across health and social care. And we gather feedback around a wide variety of services. So ambulances, for example, both um, NHS and independent ambulance services. Got quite a list. Care homes, and that includes residential and nursing homes. Children's services, that includes health and social services for children clinics, including family planning and slimming clinics. So in the community, we want to hear about community-based services, including services for people with learning disabilities and substance misuse services, dentists, hot topic, GPs and doctors, and we want to hear about practices, walk-in centres, out-of-hour services, all those kind of things. Hospices, so um, services that provide care for people who have life-limiting conditions or at the end of their lives. 
hospitals, so both NHS trusts and independent hospitals, mental health services, secure settings, including Her Majesty's prisons and other inspectorates, and services in the home as well. So home care agencies, mobile doctors, and services over the phone. So we really do have a wide remit of feedback that we hope to collect from members of the public. Wow, that, that's certainly an impressive list you've given us. So let, let's um, offer our listeners the first of the plugs. So if somebody wants to contact you, how do they do it? If somebody wants to contact us, they can get in touch in a variety of different ways. We have a website at healthwatchsomerset, that's all one word, .co.uk. They can email us, info at healthwatchsomerset.co.uk. We have a free phone telephone number, which is 0800 999 1286. And people can also write to us as well. Um, Woodlands Business Park, Bristol Road, Bridgewater, and that's TA64FJ. Um, on our website, there is a form that people can complete that basically says, tell us about your health and social care experience. And uh, as I mentioned, we want to hear things that everybody has um, contact somewhere along the line with the health and social care system. And we want to hear the good things and we want to hear the things that haven't gone quite so well. And David, I presume by your technological magic, you'll put all those details up at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, we'll put them up in the show notes in the description as well. So we, we'll have links to those, uh, the website and other things you mentioned there. But I love that you gave out the address and everything, the postal address. There's lots of different ways that people can get in touch, Jill. That's really good to be accessible. I, I, my question was about, um, you said dentists are a hot topic. I don't know if you can elaborate on that a little further. Oh, oh I'm not sure how far I want to go with that one, to be honest. I always say we do get quite a lot of feedback about um, dentists and uh, uh, the, f- the fact that people can't access them as and when they would like to. So, uh, but uh, yeah, a bit of a hot topic. Is that related to, is it particularly a hot topic at the moment because of, uh, of COVID? Are some of these organisations still, uh, have things changed over the last couple of years um, around some of the way that the uh, health is provided through some of these organisations? Uh, is that the kind of thing that people are getting in touch about at the moment sometimes? Most definitely. Um, I think there is a perception that um, service delivery has changed because of COVID, um, whereas in fact, I think things were starting to change prior to COVID. So, um, and I think it's it's worth um, remembering that, that change was always inevitable um, and trying to think, uh, trying to make delivery um, as accessible as possible is absolutely the key to this. And I'm aware that there are issues with accessing primary care as well uh, with COVID as well. So I'm, I'm quite relieved if the, uh, the spotlight is on dentists at the moment. It's really interesting, like you said, Jill, that some times the way that things are portrayed in the press in the media around this is that covid happened things changed became more remote or digital or online or virtual in some ways and like you say actually it's important to reflect that that was happening prior to covid as well there was already a focus in the nhs's um, long-term plan and other documents around how telemedicine i think they were calling it then how how these kind of remote practices can can help to add extra capacity or they are more convenient for some people as well so some of these things were already happening prior to covid and then sometimes the media seizes upon that and sensationalizes a story around like you know gps aren't seeing people anymore that type of thing when actually this has been happening over a number of years already at this point. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is absolutely the case. And I'm sorry to say, Peter, that um, the spotlight does, we do still get a lot of feedback about accessing uh, primary care GP services as well. Um, so the, the feedback that we get, what we do is we collate that and then we send quarterly reports to um, the stakeholders within the system. So if we're getting feedback about a particular practice, about a particular hospital, um, we do share that with them so that they're aware of um, the public voice. And obviously then any changes that need to be made can actually be brought in, which is uh, hugely important. And hopefully positive feedback as well. Absolutely. We most definitely want to hear positive feedback. Um, we know that there's some really good things going on out there in the community and we want to be able to tell the people that commission the services, yep, yeah, this absolutely works for us. Let's do more of this as well as that this doesn't work quite so well. We need to change it. So, uh, yeah, we most definitely want the positive feedback. Yeah, and I think that's really, really great that you focus on on that as well, because I think sometimes it is um, the negative things are amplified more, again, maybe through the media or perhaps through social media, the echo chamber effect. We've covered that on other podcasts and things before. Um, but yeah, as a commissioner, I think it's really interesting to to have your perspective and your organisation's perspective in these processes from a very early stage. So uh, as you know, Jill, we're doing a lot of work around dementia and things at the moment. And um, I think it's been great to have you come on board and join our task and finish groups and things at an early stage stage so that we can make sure that we're sort of hardwiring this approach into everything we do because you know co-production and putting the the voice of the person at the center of the service development is really really key and critical within the nhs long-term plan it just is what we should be doing anyway you know it's you think about any business or any organization the customer is always right they say in retail you know so that that approach you know you need to listen to the voice of the people who are using your services and put that front and center stage and recognize the good things that are happening and the not so good things that are happening and then work to change that for everybody in the system who engages with that so i think it's been really great to have you come on board with some of the work we're doing nice and early on and i hope other people invite health watch in at an early stage to come and be a part of the development of, of these services absolutely yeah i completely agree with you you know if things are um looked at from a public perspective as they are being developed then you can make you can make the differences at that point which i think is hugely important and if i may um we are a very small team but i'm very fortunate to be supported by um a board of volunteers and uh they our chair included um judith goodchild do sit on a lot of the the different um, bodies across the health and social care system and they're the ones that kind of help us to have the reach that we've got as well. And we're using volunteers more and more in, in care and a, a different model really to the, the top-down model and finding it hugely beneficial for people so that's good to hear. Can you give us an example maybe of a way in which your influence has, has, uh, has changed the delivery of health care in Somerset? We run um, some focused pieces of work each year. So we have um, a work plan that we work to. So our work plan is informed by the feedback that we get from members of the public, by meetings we attend, both staff and our board members, um, and by working with organisations like the CCG. And what we do each year is we kind of have some priorities. So, for example, in uh, 2021, um, our priorities were around access to primary care. So um, we were talking about GP appointments. We wanted to know how people were accessing primary care. And the message from that was that GP surgery should use a variety of methods to ensure equal access. Um, we also looked at the NHS 111 service. The CQC asked us to look at that in 2020. We have in fact just done a comparative piece of work with that. 
um, community care. So we did some enter and view visits. One of our statutory functions is to be able to go in and I guess you'd probably in educational terms call it an observation, go in and uh, look at how care homes are being run, speak to the residents, speak to the family and friends so you get a really holistic picture of what that uh, premises is like. So we did uh, three visits in 2020. Um, we also did some work with staff during the pandemic that were working within care homes to find out their perspective and how they were getting on and what things were like with for them. And we did some work with the district nursing service as well. Um, as our population grows older, there's a greater demand on community services and the out of hospital model of care. And, and that's something that we're uh, going to be seeing increase. We regularly receive feedback about community care services, and we know that it is a development area. So um, we, we took feedback about that particular service. And one of the things that we heard from members of the public was that they wanted options around um, appointment times, evenings and weekends as well. So that was something that we fed in to the district nursing service and something that they've kind of taken on board. Um, so we are we do try and implement what we call a cycle of feedback. So when feedback comes to us, we pass it on to our stakeholders, to the other people within the system. And then we say to them, what are you doing with that feedback? Um, what difference is that making? Now, sometimes it means that um, they will have taken a particular set of circumstances to um, a, a kind of a board at a higher up level to discuss and look at. Sometimes it's simple things. Um, we did at the beginning of our current year, a piece of work around referral to treatment and waiting times in hospitals. And one of the things that we recommended on the back of that project was that um, people on waiting lists were kept informed of what was happening and where else they could get support. There are a number of different um, initiatives across the county that are supporting people so that their health doesn't worsen whilst they're on waiting lists. And uh, one of the recommendations was uh, leaflet. So we're currently working with the Foundation Trust to produce a leaflet to uh, enable people who are on these lists to uh, maintain their health in the best possible way they can, ready for surgery. That's great because that's really a, a hot button topic at the moment, as well as, uh, uh, you know, the elective care recovery, uh, especially given that what the, the effect of the pandemic on the delivery of elective care has been nationally uh, for everywhere. I used to actually work in that area for one of our local providers. I was a, a, a RTT. That's the way we, the, the you, you know, NHS is full of jargon. RTT, that's referral to treatment uh, team. And uh, yeah, I was uh, looking at all of the, the sort of facts and figures around that, trying to at the time move people through the system faster make sure they can get their operations done faster and i always thought it'd be great i never i never could get this off the ground but i was suggesting it quite often i think maybe cost or or the complication of to how to make it work was a, a barrier but how great would it be you know when you order something online or you get in a delivery sent to your house you can view like a tracker a sort of a real-time tracker that shows where your parcel is like on its way to you like has it been dispatched yet where is it with you and i always thought it'd be absolutely fantastic if you could have that for your elective care so like you could say oh this is what a national this is what a, an average pathway in my local area looks like if i'm waiting for a hip operation or, or whatever it may be and then you could log in as the patient waiting and you could see where you are on that tracker like where are you how many weeks have you been waiting how many weeks should you be expecting to wait for the next thing to happen um so yeah something that i was a uh, big in, in favor of at the time maybe we'll get to that at some point in the future i'd love to see something like that happen but great to hear that you're working in that area jill at the moment we yeah advise yeah that would be absolutely brilliant it really would 
mean, one of the other pieces of work actually talking on a similar theme was around the emergency department as well. Um, we heard lots of things we mentioned about the press earlier on. We heard lots of things in the press about waiting times in accident emergency. And uh, we wanted to um, try and find out whether or not um, there was an issue there that could in any way be resolved um, with perhaps extra resource or anything like that. So um, we did um, a, a concentrated piece of work, and this was in partnership with the CCG and um, both Musgrove Park and Yeovil District Hospitals um, back in September last year. Uh, so that's 2021. And uh, we found that 72% of the people visiting had a new injury or illness and 68% of people visiting had sought treatment elsewhere. Um, but by and large, people should have been where they were. So um, although they had been in touch with organisations like NHS 111, they had followed the kind of choose well, um, and they, they'd obviously thought carefully about where they could best get that sort of help and support. They, they were actually where they should have been, which was um, quite heartening, really, to hear as well. It's great to hear that people feeding back to you can actually have an influence on on how care how healthcare is delivered, and um, I've got an experience where I've got this post COVID um, heart failure and was waiting for a scan, and it made a huge difference having a letter through the post saying, "Look, sorry, it's been delayed because of the pressures, but if you get this, 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 or this, contact us and we'll put you in urgently." So that communication is really, really important. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And often when we are um, looking at, at projects and we're looking at pieces of work in, and feedback, it's the communication that people are saying, we want to know what's actually happening. You know, tell us, even if it's not good news, we'd rather know than we would not know and be left in the dark. So uh... definitely. And that's something that I, I did find during that previous job I was talking about was there was more about communication but also about setting that fair expectation up front as well i think if people up right from the start know what to expect then uh, and it's made clear to them and transparent then they are more likely to to accept that even if it's not great news about like the length of time you might be waiting if you know a ballpark figure which is relatively accurate then at least you know what to expect and you can plan around that a little bit um whereas i think when it's like sort of not really revealed or set out up front that's when people can sort of feel agitated or annoyed because they're just not you know don't feel like they're involved in their own in their own care sometimes um is that a theme that sort of comes up across in other things that you've been looking at as well jill um, communication most definitely is up there um one of the projects we did do back in uh, 2021 was um our young listeners project and uh, we had um, a project officer uh, a young man, man called max popham um who did this project working with young people across somerset so we were asking them, um, well, we started off, we wanted to know what they were interested in finding out about. And their kind of focus, uh, they wanted it to be around mental health, eating disorders, access, um, uh, LGBTQ plus issues within the health and social care system and cancer support. So quite a wide uh, remit that they wanted us to look at or they wanted to look at. So they created um, a list of questions and they went out to their peers and did surveys with them. And the responses was absolutely around a lack of communication, which I thought was very much echoing um, what we what we kind of hear about in, in different services as well. So they were telling us there's a lack of communication between services about young people's health and well-being. Services aren't communicating effectively with young people and they often feel left in the dark. 
Um, there's not enough information or education about health and social care in schools. So young people find information online and we find them talking to their peers as well. And many, many services don't promote themselves in a way that's accessible or inclusive of young people. And um, we kind of moved on to look at things like social media. So from that, um, we had a series of recommendations and surprisingly around things like communication, um, particularly the services needing to reevaluate how they communicate with each other. And I know that um, a lot of the recommendations have been taken up not only by the county council, but within the um, health and social care and the children's services as well, which has been hugely important. I think TikTok was one of the things that came to mind. Um, I'm not so sure about communicating via TikTok, but there we go. If it's uh, if it's going to reach out and, and uh, enable people to uh, take on board a message, why not? I think that might be more for you than for me, David. I think I'm a bit beyond TikTok, to be honest. I'm interested in it, but yeah, I haven't looked at it too much yet myself. I need to. <laughs> so, Jill, you've got your ear to the ground. You, you, you've obviously got a sense of what's going on. What areas do you feel we're doing well in? What areas do you feel we need to concentrate more on? You've mentioned about young people and communication, which I completely endorse. Are there any other areas where you think we, we could do better or, or want to mention, give us an honourable mention? Um, I think areas that we could do better, um, I think mental health, I'm sorry, has got to come in there, um, particularly around mental health with young people. That is something that we're looking at um, potentially for our work programme for the next year. Um, discharge from hospital, um, that can be a challenge. Areas that we're doing well on, um, I think that things like the COVID vaccination programme was absolutely amazing. I mean, the speed at which that was rolled out and uh, the kind of reach of that programme and the fact that it was kind of, it, it just, it, it was kind of like one of these gifts that kept giving, wasn't it? And I think that couldn't have been done without the whole breadth of volunteers, professionals across the county. So absolutely superb. We really, you know, top-notch figures for that one there. So uh, yeah, really, really good there. I think if I'm being quite honest, um, a, a lot of people don't, there are some things that obviously don't work as well as they could do. There are things that can be improved, um, but our kind of sense is that by and large, things work well. We tend to hear when they don't work well. So we have to make that assumption. Yeah, so um, it, thank you, Jill. It, it's um, I know that particularly with regard to mental health, we know with the wake of the the pandemic that they they always in the modelling etc were thinking there was going to be a, a, a demand wave for mental health that would follow the physical health demand wave from the pandemic, and I think that we are seeing sort of an increased demand on on services. Um, you know, more referrals coming through and things at the moment, and uh, there's a lot of uh, work underway with new services like the Open Mental Health Service and things like that that are out there, and they're able to be sort of more reactive and and put that person voice more at the center of how provision is uh, made for people so yeah it's uh it's it, great to hear that sort of that you know you're picking up that feedback and like you say the vaccination program was really really a huge massive achievement lots and lots of people had to come together and they pulled in every favor they possibly could to make it happen uh, but it has obviously you know showed good benefits in the long run and uh, we we're talking a little bit a minute ago about social media and the role that can play and i think particularly social media um is an area the relationship between social media and mental health is something that needs to be examined a little bit more deeply in, in society as a whole not just in somerset um, but talking of the media i was wondering because it's come up a couple of times earlier in the conversation as well 
are how to health watch interface with the, the media do you actually directly get involved talk to them or is it more that uh sort of the people will pick things up from the media and then sort of come to you with those queries is there a relationship between health watch and the media at all or? There is, there is. Um, so as one of our uh, functions is we have to publish our reports, they have to be made public. So when we're doing a focus piece of work and we end with a report, um, the report will go onto our website, it gets shared across our stakeholders and um, with the CQC as well as with Healthwatch England. Um, when a report is due to be published, um, Healthwatch in Somerset is hosted by an organisation called Evolving Communities and uh, they have a comms team and our comms manager, Ruth, um, does a press release, basically. So she gets in touch with um, local members of the uh, press corps and uh, basically says, we've got this new report coming out. And they, in turn, um, if it's of interest, if it's um, a hot topic, shall we say, they'll come back and ask for um, comment either on radio or on TV. So, uh, yeah, we have got we have got quite, quite, quite a good relationship with the press. But, uh, yeah, I have to confess, I haven't as yet had to be in front of a camera. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a worrying prospect. I'm sure you'd be very good at it. But, yeah, it's, so there's, it comes from both ends. So, like, sometimes people might come to you after being concerned by something they've read in the media. And then also when you publish a report after doing a piece of work, then that goes out and is picked up sometimes by the media as well. Thank you. Uh, Peter. Yes, I, I really want to sort of say something positive about media. It is a concern. Social media definitely seems to lie behind the increase, for instance, in eating disorders that we've seen in young people uh, because they're looking at themselves on screen so much. And I know there's a lot of negative stuff happens in some areas of social media, but it can be a force for good as well. Uh, people are welcome to follow me on Twitter and I try and put research out there and uh, advertise these podcasts and, and give other pos positive messages. And I think we're also very lucky with our, our local media, our local radio and television, as you say, uh, uh, will regularly ask us on to raise awareness of mental health issues. So there's a lot of positive stuff out there as well, isn't there? Definitely. And I think that one of the things we're talking on a podcast now, and I think that the nature of uh, the way that media is delivered is changing and is shifting and, and has been for a number of years, but perhaps has been accelerated by the pandemic. Certainly our, our listenership has increased over the last couple of years, but that's because we've only been existing for the last couple of years. Um, but I, I feel like there is a shifting in the landscape between uh, the power of the conventional media and the empowerment of everybody to have a sort of an equal voice in that playing field. Uh, it only recently occurred to me last night that actually we could record uh, special podcast episodes to raise awareness about things and not that this is one of those although we are talking about health watch right now uh, but you know to provide training aids for people or on-demand sort of you know uh, audio training or reference points for people so we might have to look at how we can roll some of that out in the future but it's a changing landscape and it is it's it's not the, the fault of the tool itself it's neither positive nor negative is it? it's the way that people use the tool that makes it one way or another um, so yeah Peter I think you're right to try and highlight some of the positive aspects there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I have to confess, you know, through Healthwatch, we do use um, social media as well. So we're on um, Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. So, uh, yeah, we absolutely want feedback in those directions, too. So it is it is about having that kind of open conversation right the way across society, isn't it? Yes, indeed. And Jill, I think now would be a good point for you to uh, give a couple of those links again to people. Another plug for how people can get in touch with you, because we're coming towards now. Don't have to give it all out, but just if you can tell people where your Instagram stuff is, then we'll put it on the feed as well. Because People can pick it out one way or another, can't they? Uh, we want people to get in touch. <laughs> 
Do you know what? I knew you were going to ask me that. I will. Uh, I will send you the Instagram details. All right. Cool. And uh, but uh, yeah, you can uh, certainly on Facebook. You can search Healthwatch Somerset. So uh, yeah, please do like us. That would be great. And amazingly, if people can remember how to, they can even write you a letter. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We do like to get mail. It's it's quite exciting. It's almost like Christmas when a letter comes through the post box. So yeah. yeah please do. <laughs> I'll Somerset at Woodlands House in Bridgewater. So uh, yeah, that'll be really great. So in the last couple of minutes, are there any final messages you want to give to people? They Hopefully they know how to contact you. They know that doing it makes a difference. They know that you've got your ear to the ground and can influence things. Any any messages you want to give to, to our listeners? Um, I think I'd just like to say, please do talk to us. Um, you know, we can't represent your voice unless you tell us, unless you share your voice, your experiences and your good things with us. Um, you know, we absolutely need to hear from everybody about what's going on there so that we can let the people who are making the decisions and uh, running the services know what's going on. So it, it, it can be a two way process, but absolutely we need to hear from you. Please contact us. And I know when I worked in a, a, a healthcare provider, more that it was such a huge deal to anyone when they got that positive letter or that that piece of feedback from somebody about some something that happened well or that somebody uh, had benefited from something that's you know where somebody had gone above and beyond and gone the extra mile for them. It just really kind of recharges people's batteries and kind of it makes you realise sort of what you know one of the reasons why you do the job you know it's lovely lovely to hear those stories as well so yeah please do get in touch with Healthwatch for those positive stories too well i'd just like to say thank you uh thanks jill for joining us and telling us all about health watch and the positive change that you're making uh thanks david for emerging in into the uh, uh out of the shadows and, and joining today and thanks to our listeners uh for giving their time up to listen so we'll see you all on tiktok next week <laughs> thank you thank you jill <laughs> thank you bye for now thank you You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.